Welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'm your host, Chad Rusepka. Our guest today is Meredith Hanaran, Director of Customer Delivery at the Newman Group, a consulting firm specializing in warehouse automation. Meredith runs project management operations at Numina, overseeing the teams that work directly with customers. And in the spirit of full transparency, Amware has used Numina, and we've had the opportunity to work on several automation projects together. We're anxious to get into the details today on the things that can make or break warehouse automation projects in terms of actual execution. Thanks for taking the time this afternoon, Meredith, and it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get into it. Yep, me too. So maybe a great place to start is just a quick summary of who is Numina and what is it that you specifically do? Sure. So the Numina Group has been around for over 30 years. We are a warehouse automation designer and integrator. We are also, you know, first most a software company. We have our proprietary real-time distribution software, which is a full and complete warehouse execution and control software. It has a full suite of software modules that control and manage the pick, pack, and ship automation processes, which will integrate with any ERP WMS package. But more so, we also provide full suite services from warehouse engineering studies, solution design through in-house mechanical, electrical, and control design. So we're really considering full picture of your distribution automation when we're doing our design. And we provide full suite services throughout your project, project management services. We do all of the procurement and vendor management, installation, commissioning, and training, as well as post-go-live services like preventative maintenance and ongoing support. So we're really aiming to be a long-term partner for distribution automation with our customers. There's a lot of areas that you provide support and expertise in. Is the market right now on fire? Are you seeing a lot of interest in automation or is it a slowdown with the economy that's kind of unclear right now? What is it that you're seeing from a Numina perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not talking directly about 2023. I think 2023, we're starting to see some impacts and some kind of hesitancy in moving forward with some projects with some unknowns with the economy. But the past few years, growth has been huge. Starting in 2020 with like the COVID pandemic, that was obviously something that caused a lot of stress and hardship in many people's lives. But this was an industry that really boomed during that period that was, you know, driven by the need to get product direct consumer very rapidly. And although thankfully the COVID pandemic is behind us, that customer expectation, you know, hasn't gone anywhere. And we're seeing customers out there realize that the expectation of consumers at this point is that they want fast turnaround on their online orders and they don't want to pay the high costs associated with that turnaround and they expect to receive complete and accurate orders every time. The other trend that we've been seeing is some instability in the labor market, specifically in warehouses and temporary labor that was very difficult and hard to count on during the pandemic. And I think that showed a lot of value and reason to look into automation. So you don't have to be as dependent on that labor market that's difficult to guarantee and also rising in cost. We've had COVID and then from that with the backlog and supply chain challenges, then you walk into an economy that's 
directionally uncertain at the moment, whether there's a recession looming or not. And then the labor shortages that you just mentioned, how do you get a sense of what's to come next year? Or most of the projects that you're working on, were they kind of funded last year that you're just now, I'm assuming, kind of working on? And But is there a pipeline for 2024? Is it still unknown right now for automation? There is still a strong pipeline. I think the trend that we're seeing is customers want to make sure they're spending more time upfront in the solution design phase to guarantee that they're going to see that ROI. Because right now, it's really important to make sure that the dollars they invest in automation, they're going to see the kind of turnaround and ROI on that very quickly. As we get into maybe a little bit more of an unstable economy, I don't think it's closing the book or slowing down or turning around the need to automate. I think that we've made that leap and we're not going to go backwards from here. Automation is going to continue to be the future. Is there one particular type of automation that's leading the charge of all the different types of services that you offer? Is there a particular kind? Is it mechanized equipment? Is it software enhancements? What do you think most brands are leaning toward right now? You know, one of the biggest things, if you're not already doing voice picking or voice batch picking, that's really a huge trend moving away from the discrete and manual picking. Customers really have no tolerance for inaccuracies or inefficiencies in the mm-hmm. picking process. And introducing a technology like voice picking combats both of those things, right? It really brings your picking accuracy up to about 99 to 99.5%. And it's much more efficient. You're also going to create optimized pick paths. And also circling back to that temporary labor we talked about, voice pick technology and the victory voice module that the Numina Group provides as our proprietary voice picking technology, it's super easy to be trained on. You know, you can train in a matter of minutes and have operators out there using voice technology and trust that they're going to do an accurate job at that. So you've probably had, I don't know how many, I'm sure hundreds of different designs, projects that you've led throughout your career. Are mistakes still pretty rampant that brands or 3PLs or customers still experience? And I'm just curious, what mistakes do you experience when a customer decides to get into automation and take on a project? Where do the mistakes occur? That's a great question. And I'll leave with saying, you know, how we try to mitigate mistakes is by always executing one of those kind of complete engineering studies up front to make sure we're introducing the right blend of process and technology to meet your current demand as well as your growth projections. Mistakes that we do run into is pushing for kind of risky timelines, right? You know, a lot of times we see customers trying to be live by their busy season, which makes total sense, right? You want to be using your new automation to see those efficiencies and start seeing your ROI as fast as possible. But if the timeline on your automation project is 16 weeks, don't wait until 17 weeks before your busy season to start on that automation project. There's always things that can come up. And if there's any risk or issue with that go-live timeline, then you're in a situation where you're trying to get this new automation live and you are also trying to get orders out the door so you don't have enough bandwidth to focus on either of them. And it's never a good idea to go live in general with a new system right before your busy season. You want to get your operators acclimated, fully ramped up and comfortable with the new season before you go into peak volume. So I'd say really planning the right time and making sure 
you're giving yourself realistic timelines to have a successful project and be ready to go when you really need that system to be working for you. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing last year. That's a great example. And the year before, do brands still underestimate the lead times with just vendors and actually getting the supplies necessary for the projects? And is that still a problem or has that mostly gone away by now? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of scars that will probably not heal from dealing with some of the insane supply chain issues that we were seeing during peak pandemic. During that time, we actually even started to store inventory of products that we use in-house, which was previously not the case for us. You know, usually we were ordering on a per project basis, but because those lead times were so insane, we had to start carrying some of the technologies in-house and building out an inventory system. We had seen a lot of the supply chain issues kind of normalize and even out, not 100% back to pre-pandemic levels, but for the most part getting there. But there are still some things that have really long lead times, PLCs. We have some issues with IDE cards sometimes, just a number of things. It's something to be really cautious about. And we try to be as upfront with that as possible. And again, you know, circles back to doing that design engineering study and having an idea of the technologies we're going to use going into like project kickoff. So the stuff with the longer lead times, we can start to work on as soon as possible. I've always been curious about what type of like sales cycle time does it normally take a brand before they commit capital or before they agree to the project? Are we talking weeks, months? So if I were a potential brand that we had an engagement with, how long do you see customers taking before they agree to the project itself? Do they just take an insane amount of time to get comfortable? It's actually a relevant question because it's something that we've been working on the past few months trying to track better by building out templates and time studies of our engineering studies into projects because we are actually trying to get a better sense of that same question. Because traditionally, in the past few years, it's kind of been all over the board. We've had customers do design study and sit on it for a year and then come back and engage with us. And also had the opposite two weeks from getting the contract in front of them, doing some negotiations and proposal assigned, and we're moving forward. So it can kind of be all over the place. And it's actually one of my projects I'm working on now to get a better sense of that. <laughs> uh, you need a project for the project. Yes. Yeah. A project for the project. Yeah. Because I think when you just referenced that about the go lives and that being one of the biggest challenges was just the project being poorly placed when it goes live in front of peak and not having familiarity beforehand. I think that's part of the problem is that brands kind of think about it. They like the solution. They spend all this time getting familiar with it. And then for whatever their reasons may be, maybe their budgets or they're just afraid of commitment. And then they hold the conversation until the very last minute before they hear that, hey, you've got to get this project started if you're going to make your go live date where they just had months that were lost, I feel like, just for their commitment. I think a trend that I've seen too is, you know, if we're looking at the calendar year in Q1, right, is usually when new budgets are coming out traditionally and all customers are obviously the same, but you have your budget for the year, you start to engage in looking into a warehouse automation provider. Maybe you put out an RFQ or you decide on a partner that you're going to do an engineering study with. 
by the time you get engaged in that, it's March. By the time you finish, you know, the design study of June. And now we're only a few months out from peak season and you want your automation system this year. So I think part of it is just the nature that these are kind of longer timeline projects a lot of times. And if you're looking at the calendar year, if you're not kicking it off until mid late Q1, that's already difficult to guarantee you have, you know, your automation live by Q4. And keeping these brands going, shifting gears for a second. I also think companies don't always have what you need to put the project plan together, like throughput, order level detail. Do you struggle getting that from brands or is your experience different? Like you have the majority of what you need to put a good you know, project plan together. That's actually a great point. And it is somewhere we get stuck during our engineering studies. We need to have a good benchmark of your existing operations to be able to finish everything we're doing in our solution and design and recommend a full solution for you. And it is somewhere that we kind of get stuck. We'll be asking for skew movement, velocity and order throughput data. We need to really be able to analyze order profiles and understand kind of peak daily seasonal order averages in your picking and shipping operations. And we also need to know things like priority rules and other business rules. And it will sometimes take us weeks of requesting that data and kind of working with our customer to look at their data and pull out what we need. So it is fairly common that customers don't even have a great kind of grasp on their current data. So that is a place we do get stuck. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. I experienced the same thing even when we go through RFPs with prospects of our own and we want to give them the best or the right solution, getting the data and the benchmarks to even help get a sense of how we can improve is probably one of our biggest opportunities to help growing brands. They just know that they're growing and they know that they need help scaling. But to try to extrapolate some of that data is difficult. And then in turn, when we have an engagement to try to put automation roadmaps together, we lack some of that. And so it's always a little bit wonky. So I think brands just don't know what they always need. They just know they're in trouble. And they look to us to help, but we still are very dependent upon the data always. Yeah, absolutely. All you brands out there listening, we need data. Okay. So do you spend a lot of time on the floor? I would imagine putting these designs together. How do you think about what's the best approach to project management? Do you go to the facilities and design them in person or are you doing it through your own proprietary process? It's a combination. You know, as we just talked about doing that order analysis, getting in the Excel and really digging into the data is super important. But site assessment is equally just important, right? We need to get on the floor. We need to see your current process for ourselves. And we will get on site for three, five days, multiple weeks, kind of depending on size of the customer. And we'll do this in the design engineering study. And then again, after we kick off the project. And we like to shadow the operators and the operator managers 
it's really important that we collect data from them when we're considering design. And what I mean is we need to make sure we're thinking about ergonomics and operator experience. And also, you know, shadowing the operators will uncover a lot of times processes or bottlenecks in the current state that maybe the executive stakeholders that are the ones signing the contracts and controlling the budget don't really have the insight into, right? That's not their day-to-day job. So we need to make sure that we're taking that on and really getting that experience because we find like oftentimes working with the operators that we catch some customers' business rules that nobody else would have thought to brought up because right now they're handling something manually. Something I've seen recently is a B2B company. Their customers that they were shipping to all had different rules on the max pallet height you were allowed to build and ship to them. And that was something we were able to build a screen for and have whatever customer you're building your pallet for, here's your max heights and build that into our process. But if we hadn't been out there shadowing the operators and seeing how they do things currently, you know, we never would have caught that or even realized that was something that was a rule and important for them. I find that to be a great value with Numina because what you just said is it's true of going to do the site assessments and the shadowing and having associates be part of the input and, you know, even a small little part of the design solution, I think is pretty cool. And the buy-in also that comes along with it. But I personally appreciate that from Newman. And I think it is a differentiator from other aggregators that don't do it. They put solutions without spending that time on the floor and getting the appropriate people involved. So that's really remarkable. I think that you take that type of time to do that. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's important to us. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's felt. Who do you think our stakeholders in a typical process, or who do you view as, I mean, I would put associates as being one of them, but who do you generally view are the most common key stakeholders when it comes to automation projects? Yeah. And I might be a little bit biased here. I run the project management office at the Numina Group, but I find projects that go the most smoothly have a really knowledgeable and highly engaged project manager. And I realize that dedicating someone's time away from their normal responsibilities to manage an automation project is hard for companies, especially smaller companies. A lot of the customers that we're working with don't have just like an internal PMO or project manager they can assign. And we're asking to allow us to utilize someone from their operations team to be the project manager. But it's so critical in keeping the teams aligned and on track. Your automation partner is going to be doing the bulk of the work for you, you know, as they should. But there's a lot as the customer going through the automation project that you need to do as well. And you have a lot of customer responsibilities to uphold on your end to keep the projects on track and on time. So having that project manager is super important. And then also keeping your executive stakeholders, if that's the COO or the CFO that was engaged in the contracts and proposal, making sure there's executive touch points throughout the project twice a month, once a month to be looking at high level project timeline and milestones. If there's any risks that come up, potential delays or change orders, we need to make sure those executives are aware right away so that we can understand how that's going to impact them and understand kind of what our options are to mitigate those risks that will be the least negatively impactful to their business and their operation. And then finally, of course, an IT decision maker is super important from the beginning, especially if you're doing any sort of project that involves any integration work with the WMS ERP, which most likely you are. We need to make sure from the beginning, there's no misalignment on how 
the systems will be communicating and the data that will be transmitted back and forth. Yeah, I think the decision makers that you just referenced are probably to me also one of the biggest slowdowns of getting things over the finish line is that a lot of times the wrong people are on the project calls or the key stakeholders that are authorized to make a decision aren't there. And so you have these calls on calls waiting for decision makers who aren't on the call. And I think that's oftentimes a missed element in projects, just not having the right decision makers available. So I always like to have some kind of separate stakeholder call that's just with decision makers. All the decision makers are on the call. Let's actually get to a decision point so that we don't lose another week or another two weeks of scheduling conflicts. I just normally find that the ones that are key to those decision makings are the ones that don't show up to the calls. And that's just a lesson that I've learned myself along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why it's important. You know, you have your project status call with the project manager, you guys talk about all the kind of tactical stuff, go in the weeds and the stuff that bubbles up that you need to bring to the executives. You know, you have a kind of separate breakout for that because to your point, yeah, those folks are really busy and you're only going to get so much time. Do you normally take on projects in chunks or like a large scale project? Are they done as one project or do you find that there are different scopes of work? For an example, somebody's looking to put in some, I'm just you know, conveyance design, is that going to be bolted on over like three or four small projects? Or is it one large scale automation project? What would you typically experience? Yeah, I think it does kind of depend, right? Something like a conveyor system tends to be a little bit more kind of traditional waterfall in design and execution, just because of the nature of doing the mechanical and electrical design and the procurement But where we can, I definitely recommend a staged approach. It has a lot of benefits and it allows you to be a little more agile and kind of flexible in your solution. An example I have when we're kind of talking about like some of the emerging technologies that are out there with autonomous mobile robots, one type of technology that the Numina Group has been implementing is what we call batch bot automation, where we're using these AMRs to do batch cart picking. So the AMRs are the ones actually picking up the cart, bringing it to the operator that is kind of staying within their zone they're assigned. And then the operator is picking to that cart. They stay where they are. The AMR takes the cart to the next pick zone. It's a really cool technology. It can save a lot of efficiencies and operator walk path, as well as you know reduce the overall amount of operators that you need in the picking process. But that's something that we definitely recommend introducing in a phased approach, right? So First, we would put in voice picking and start with implementing voice picking and optimizing your slotting and pick at paths and have the operators actually pushing those batch carts and then picking to cart as I already described. And then after that successfully rolled out and adopted and they're comfortable with that technology, you know, then introduce the AMRs. This way, the operators already know the voice pick process and the batch pick to cart process. And also they're comfortable with the solution that if the AMRs ever go down for whatever reason, they're offline for a shift, you have this kind of more manual process you can revert back to and not lose much time. And, you know, the operators already know that process. You're big on voice picking. It sounds like kind of as a baseline technology based on your earlier comments about the order accuracy rates and maybe easy to implement, easy to train on. 
is that a fair assumption that you really like that? And then kind of bolting on to the AMR or to whatever other stuff that is voice picking for you, always say a basic requirement, do you think? Yeah, I think across the board, 90% of the projects that we're doing and that we're implementing include voice picking in some capacity. The only projects that don't is if it's a customer that already is on a legacy voice picking system that they're not quite ready to move away from. And again, that kind of goes back to the phase approach. Even in those instances, you know, we're kind of planning out the projects that will roll out with your old voice system. And then in six months, we'll move to your voice. So it's definitely a staple of distribution automation. I like the thinking about the bolting on and incremental steps, because I would imagine if a brand is, you give them voice and you teach them voice picking and they see some incremental improvement, they're more likely to now have that ROI or it's demonstrated, it's easy to implement, it's a quick win. I imagine they're coming back for more and then wanting that next level of technology and then they get that and then the next one and so on and so on. So they incrementally show improvement versus to your point, kind of the big project, even though it has all of it, they just don't know how to use it. It's a slower process. They get frustrated. People think it it doesn't work because it's taken longer to try to implement all of these things at the same time. I like that process much better myself. So I guess leaders today that are in facilities under enormous amounts of pressure, probably even more so because other organizations might be using technology. What type of advice do you give a brand or a leader who's under pressure to increase productivity without adding enormous amounts of cost? Is it what we just talked about? Just start slow, start with something. Is that the advice you would give or would you give kind of a a different insight? There's a few different things. And obviously budget constraints is something that everyone deals with and it's just reality, right? Like not everyone can spend millions of dollars on an awesome new automation project and you know, that's okay. Or maybe it's going to be a little bit more difficult of a roadmap for you to prove out the ROI. And there's things you can be doing, even if you have a very small to no budget for automation immediately, even kind of circling back to what we talked about of making sure you have a good handle on your data currently, like that's really a first step. And there's things that you can do to improve your processes and your efficiencies. If you kind of get a handle on your word data, something as straightforward as just making sure you have your SKUs slotted in the most efficient ways, right? So organizing your product and inventory to maximize your space and efficiency in the warehouse is going to save you time and money immediately if you can get that executed, right? A lot of companies, you know, do you even have a handle on your fastest versus your slowest movers, Are they slotted accordingly to reduce operator travel path while picking? Something that we talk about always are making sure those A movers are in the golden zone, need a shoulder height for operators. Implementing just things like that, you're going to see a lot of instant efficiency gains. Totally agree. Where can people go to find more about yourself or Numina as an organization? You can visit our website, numinagroup.com. We also have a lot of great content on YouTube where you can see our automation solutions in action. We post a lot of white papers and blogs on our website, as well as on LinkedIn, tons of great customer stories and references. So yeah, you can check us out at all those places. Awesome. We'll be sure to add a link to the podcast. Meredith, thanks again. I really appreciate the conversation and thanks to all of our listeners This concludes our episode of Unboxing Fulfillment. Stay safe, everyone. 
Thank you. 